And so we are going through the book of Romans together. This is week number three. We're calling it um, the good news. And so the apostle Paul is, is, is writing this letter sometime around 60 AD. Um, and he's writing to a church that he's never been to, never visited Rome yet, hasn't met really anyone that's a part of the church in Rome. And I didn't find this out until actually this week, but if you graduated from Harvard Law School up until about a decade ago, you were required to take a class on the book of Romans because they believed, according to the Harvard Law School, that it was one of the most compelling arguments that existed. And we talked about that last week. Paul is, is acting as a prosecuting attorney in some ways. And so we, we, we went, I'm not going to go back into that in detail, but he is, he is a prosecuting attorney, and he is, he is pleading his case against all of humanity, saying if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, if you believe in God, if you don't believe in God, that, that morally we've kind of all become bankrupt, and that's what he's writing. This, so so it, the, the news is not good at first. <laughs> uh, and, and he says, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Jew, um, you, you know about God because of your conscience, because of what has been revealed in creation. If you've seen a sunset or a sunrise lately, you got to believe that there's more to this life than this life, that there's a creator out there. And then he, and then he, and then he put the, the, the Jewish person, the practicing Jew, on trial and says, you know, uh, you, you tend to point fingers at people. And, and he closes his, his statement out. If he, so imagine Paul as a prosecuting attorney. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. And this would be his closing statement. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And so he puts the whole world on trial. And he says, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But then here's where the news gets good. And all are justified. Somebody say Justified. You should underline that. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption. Say redemption. Underline that word. That came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Say atonement. Underline that word. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. All right. So that is, that's his closing statement. So we don't end with the guilty charge. He gives the good news. And there's three big words in those two verses that are kind of theological words. Justification, justified, redemption, and atonement. All rooted in the Old Testament. All words that we could spend a month on, really, as a church. Justification, redemption, and atonement. These are three things that, that is just absolutely necessary for, as, a, as a believer, for our future in our walk with God, we've got to know what those three things mean, and we have to experience those three things, justification, atonement, and redemption. But the highlight, the hero of this verse, the way that we access justification, atonement, and redemption, he says we receive them as Christians by faith, by Faith. And so this whole book, we talked about this last week, faith is mentioned over and over and over and over. Faith. That we're, we're justifi justified by faith. That the way that we access all of these great things, the good news of the gospel, is, is through our faith. And faith is, is kind of a funny thing. 
Because I, I personally believe that every person has some kind of measure of faith. Every person has faith. If you didn't have faith, you wouldn't leave your house. Because this morning, you, you probably woke up and you, and you got in your vehicle and you didn't have to pray about starting the car, did you? You just had faith that when you turned the key, it was going to work. And then you, I mean, maybe you prayed on the way here, hoping your brakes would work at the stop sign in the stoplight. You know, I had a car like that at one point, an 85 Chevy with a 350 small block in it. And I had to pray everywhere I went because it would overheat. And it was embarrassing. It would just smoke. And then the brakes were, you know, 50-50. Uh, you know, like I had a car like that. But, but you probably had enough faith in the manufacturer of your vehicle. You didn't have to worry about the brakes. You didn't have to worry if the power steering were going to turn. You, uh, and then here you are sitting in this pew. Did you worry if the pew was going to hold you up this morning? No. You had no faith in the builder of that pew that the integrity of it was going to hold you up. You know, maybe you're worried about the structural integrity of the building. I'm, I'm not. But you, ha you had enough faith in the designer and the architect and the contractor. See, everybody has faith. Everybody has faith. The difference is what your faith is in. Because can you believe it? There's people that live in the 21st century that still have faith in the, in the government. <laughs> have you met one of those? They really believe that they're going to come protect you when things get bad. Or they're going to bail you out. Or Come on, are they going to... I'm preaching now. And, and, the, and the Bible is really clear about where to put your faith, that you shouldn't put your faith in people. And you shouldn't put your faith in governments. I'm very thankful for ours, but I'm not believing that it's going to rescue me in my time of trouble. And so we all have faith. We have different measures of faith. But what Paul is talking about this morning in, in the title of, our, of my talk is a focused faith. A focused faith. Because faith in itself is of no value. Faith in itself is of no value. You, you may have a sign in your house that says faith or a pillow that's got it etched into the, into the fabric. Faith, faith, faith. But faith by itself is of little to no value at all. It's where you're putting that faith. It's the object of that faith. And so the Bible defines faith as an assurance or a guarantee. An assurance or a guarantee. That, that faith, when it's placed in the right object, it gives the Christian, the Christian, me and you, assurance and a guarantee of some things that have happened, some things in our present life, and some things that are going to happen in the future. But the problem comes when we take that faith and we put it in other places, or we, or, or we put that faith in, in, in objects. You know, if faith is a guarantee... That's the way, if faith is a guarantee, then it needs a guarantor. It needs a guarantor. Somebody's got to back it up. Like a pyramid scheme. Have you ever had somebody pitch you on a pyramid scheme, right? People are selling snake oil now and all these oils, and you're going to get rich selling this and that, and you just get three people under you, and then they're going to get three people under them, and then they're going to get three people under them. But you notice it doesn't work, these get rich schemes, because there's no guarantor, the person that designed it is nowhere to be found. That's why I don't have any Bitcoin. That's why I don't have cryptocurrency. Who's going to defend it? Who created it? I'm, you know, like, and so the way that faith is described in some terms in the Bible is currency. 
It's a currency. It's how we access the things of God in our life. We put our faith, we put our hope, we put our trust in the right places. And just like money, uh, you know, the dollar, it's pretty, you know, I got some here. My, I, here's a 50, you know, five. This paper, it's just paper. It's not worth anything. The value of this, I mean, there's not much you can do with it. You could draw on it. Um, I mean, you could do, but the value from this is really what you put it in. Because you could take this paper here and invest it in something like Enron or what, you know, do you, you remember Enron? Okay. Or uh, no, y'all remember Enron. You could place this currency in the wrong place and lose it all. And back in the day, somebody, apparently we used to have a currency that was backed up by a, the gold, like a national treasury. But now it's a fiat currency, right? So they're just printing it like there's no tomorrow. And the value that it has is what we give it. You can't go to the bank and exchange this for gold anymore. The, the, the value of it is really in the exchange, where you put it. And you can put it in good stuff, in good investments, and you can put it in bad stuff and bad investments. And so every person, whether they're an atheist or a Christian, has some kind of faith. And the thing about the Christian faith is, is it has a guarantor. It has a guarantee that when we place the faith that we have in our life, that we all have in the, in the right object, that there's going to be a return on that. And so a lot of times we focus on faith and we, we champion faith and we, you know, we have faith preachers and we have faith movements and, and, and faith is no good at all when it's not placed in the guarantor, in, in the right place. Like faith is just, it's just nebulous. It's just a currency. There's really no value to it. And so Paul, the attorney, he was rolling out this talk on faith. And then the first person that he brings to the witness stand is a guy named Abraham. And he starts talking about Abraham in Romans 4. And he talks about the life of Abraham, who's known as the father of faith. Father of faith. And he talks about his life, how Abraham, before he seen God move in his life, he believed God first. That he lived his whole life looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And God didn't tell him really anything at all. He just said, I want you to get your, your family, Abraham, and take off to a place when, when you see it, you're going to know it's the right place. No description, no details, just by faith, Abraham, I want you to trust me. And he did all kinds of stuff by faith. He took his son up a mountain by faith. He led his family out into the middle of nowhere and didn't know really where he was going. He just said, God is going to tell me. It was all by faith. And I think the tendency and the, and, the, and the danger comes when we put our faith in the things of this world and we put our faith in places where, where it's never supposed to be. And so I want to read what, what, what Paul says about Roman or about about. Abraham, Romans 4, verse 3, that Abraham believed God, and because of his faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. That word credited is a banking term. Abraham believed God, and it was just deposited into his life, the blessing of God. See, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up, 
and I'm going to read my devotion, I'm going to go to the office, and I'm going to go to work. And I expect when I go to work that at some point, hopefully, if y'all want me around here, that I'm going to get some kind of paycheck, right? You're not going to work for free, are you? You go to work, you clock in, and you're expecting something in return. You work for a paycheck. But the way that Paul is describing this, this gospel and this righteousness and this justification and atonement is he's saying, you don't work for this. You believe for this. It's, it's faith. It's by faith that Abraham, before he ever did the first work in his life, before he, you know, he took Isaac up on a mountain thinking that he was going to have to, to, to sacrifice his son, big things. He, 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 did, he was the first one that, I don't even want to talk about it, but like circumcision, that was him. Think about the faith that took. Could you imagine explaining that to your in-laws or like whoever, like or who, you know, or the church, hey, well, God spoke to me and this is what he said. All the men, I need you to do... You know, can you imagine that? Like, you go first, dude. I'm a... <laughs> and Rome, I mean, Paul talks about it, and he says before all of that was ever done, he didn't affirm his faith by works. He believed God first. And faith alone is not faith at all. So we know when we put our faith in the right place, that we're going to begin to see our life change. We're going to live differently. But, but the real highlight here is on our faith. And so where are we supposed to put it? As a Christian, am I supposed to be a faith preacher? Am I supposed to use my faith to believe God for more, you know, houses and more money and all this stuff like we've heard it? I mean, I'm sure you've heard those, you know, prophets stretch a leg and all that good stuff. And where, where do we put our faith as believers? What are we supposed to do? I think Paul answers that in Romans 4, 23 through 25. This is what he says. This is where we're supposed to put our faith. The word that was credited to him, talking about Abraham, was written for not him alone, but also for us, to who God has credited in our account righteousness. And this is how. For those who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justifications. So where should I focus my faith? Should I focus it on my problems and trying to pray away some of the stuff that's in my life? Should I focus it on faith and believing God for bigger things? I think what Paul's telling us here is the focus of our faith is the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the finished work of the cross. That's it. But what about when we're like, like we've been saved for 10 years? Doesn't it change? Or what about 20 years? I'm 30 years down the road here. I mean, shouldn't I be believing God for bigger stuff and greater works and, and all these things? No, I think what Paul is bringing us to is, is, is like we, we never graduate from that place right there. Jesus talked a lot about becoming a child, like going back to the basics. And I think where our faith starts is where it ends. It's just this simplicity of knowing, of, 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 of the reality of the cross becoming real in our life, that, that there was a person, there was a man that died some 2,000 years ago, and I couldn't get myself off the hook, and he paid the price for me. And I owe him my life. 
And we, sometimes we look at salvation and we talk about, well, yeah, 25 years ago, I prayed that prayer and but I'm, I'm, I'm sanctified now. I'm way beyond, you know, I'm way, I'm way beyond that. And I think what Paul is doing is he's bringing us back here to the heart of the gospel and it's faith and the finished work of, of the cross. And, and, and we can't add anything to it and we can't take anything away from it. That's where we're supposed to live. Every day. Imagine you're out here swimming in the Gulf of Mexico and you get pulled out by a riptide and it happens all the time. And we have some of the greatest lifeguards in the world, but people still, you know, they can't cover the beach the whole time. And you get pulled out into the surf and you're in over your head and you're drowning. There's nobody there. And it just so happens, here comes a lifeguard driving down the beach in, in this truck and you just wave at them from the ocean. I mean, here you are. You're, I mean, if you've ever been in distress in the water, you know it's, it's you learn to pray. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you don't pray, you, you, you learn to pray there. Yeah, you know, when you're getting held under and it's, you know, and we have some dangerous surf. People don't realize that, but like the, the water is very inviting, but we get dangerous surf because it's short period swell. And a lot of times it's pushing down the beach east or west. So it's not just so, so, People get in distress quick. So imagine you're swimming and now here you're in over your head and you are drowning and you wave down this lifeguard and, and he gets out, he gets his, uh, his, his life-saving device his, 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 and he runs out kind of like David Hasselhoff. He swims through the surf, you know, pushes through the waves, puts his life on the line to come out there and rescue you. And you, he, he gives you that life flotation device and you grab it and he swims you back in. And saves your life. Channel 3 hears about it. Okay, they're always looking for a story. And they show up and they interview you in the lifeguard. And, and they ask you, tell me what happened. Well, let me, I'll tell you exactly what happened. I was drowning, but I waved my hand so perfectly to that lifeguard. I mean, my wave was perfect. And if I wouldn't have had both hands waving, he wouldn't have seen me. And then, he, and then when he swam out, I, had a, I have a distinct whistle and I whistled perfectly so that he could find me in the surf. And then when he, when he handed that life flotation device over, let me tell you, I've been working on my grip. And if it wasn't for my strong grip and my, my big wave and my whistle, and that is what we sound like when we come to God and we try to convince him that our works has anything to do with our salvation. I go to church. I pray, I memorize the Bible. You should see my Bible memorization routine. I mean, I give, I give money. I, I mean, I, I serve. Like, 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 do you see how silly that sounds? When we come to God on the basis of anything that we can do? And the gospel is this. The gospel is believing that God through Jesus has done something for you that you could never do for yourself. And it never gets old every morning. His mercies are new. And it's every day, it's living right there. God has done for me what I could never do for myself. And I'm not trusting in my goodness or church attendance or my prayer life or my Bible reading plan. All that's good. But somehow it's like the longer that we're Christian, the easier it is to take that route. To trust in our goodness and our church attendance and our good theology to get us to heaven. I'm preaching now. 
And so it shifts here. Romans 5, Paul in the first half of first four or five chapters, he's talking to the world. Now he's talking to Christians. And he's saying, Christian, be careful that you don't trust in your own works or your own self to get to heaven because that you can't add to the finished work of the cross. You can't take away from it. That's all we have. That's our hope. That's the banner that we raise every single morning. If we don't do that, then you should find another pastor in another church. It's, it's Christ in Christ alone. It, there's no other entryway. There's no other point to get in. There's nothing added to it. There's nothing taken away from it. That's, that's our banner. That's our rally cry. And, and unfortunately, we've added so much to that. We've added so much to that. We've, we've complicated it. Religion takes something that's really simple and just makes it heavy and hard. But it's faith in the right place that leads to a changed life. And salvation is not a one-time thing that I, that I did when I was 10 and I prayed the prayer of faith. Salvation is like a, it's a flowing stream. It's not a stagnant pond. It's not something you visited when you were a kid and you got what you needed and you'll come back, you know. It, it, it's flowing. It's, it's, it's the way that Paul describes it through justification and atonement and redemption. It's past it's present and it's future. It's past, it's present, it's, it's future. And, and so the focus of our faith is the cross. Now, I want to give you the good stuff. And then we're going we're gonna to pray together and we're going to go get some lunch, all right? This is the good stuff because then Paul starts rolling out. He says, when you put your faith in the right place, when you put your faith in the right object, the finished work of the cross, these, this is the benefits this is, when you invest your faith in the right place, this is the reward that you can expect. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, past tense, through faith, we have peace with God. How much money do you think is spent every day on trying to find peace in this world? A good night's rest. How, what, what kind of value can you put on that? He says, because of the cross and the finished work of Christ, we have peace with God. And it hasn't always been that way. Look at verse 10. At one point, we were God's enemies. He's saying, before we enter into this, this before we put our faith in the cross and we really understood and we believed the gospel and we repented from our old life, he said, before that, you were God's enemy and, and you knew it. I remember it was, I mean, I, I feel like there was a hole in the bucket for a long time in my life. I didn't have peace. I didn't have clarity. I, I mean, I, I tried everything I could to find fulfillment in my life. Everything I could. I mean, if, just trying to find some kind of, of clarity, some kind of just, just peace in my life. And, and, and the greatest, I think, thing, the benefit of the gospel is not only peace in our life, but peace with God. And I'm finding now that, you know, I don't care if, like, a lot of people's mad at me. I just don't want God mad at me. I mean, you cannot like me, and there's people that don't like me, and that's cool. But well, who I really want to make sure likes me is my wife and God. <laughs> that's about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like in that order. No, I'm just kidding. No, but, <laughs> no, no, I'm, just, no I'm kidding. But, uh, but 
peace with God. And we talk a lot about the peace of God, but what Paul's telling us here is you can't have the peace of God if you're not at peace with God. And we can't be at peace with God if we have this sin hanging over our heads and this shame and this guilt from our past. He says, you've been justified. You've been justified. You've been, you've been charged not guilty. And I think that, that people are walking around with a lot of guilt, and even Christians, and shame. And the devil kind of has one job. He's known as the accuser of the... And it happened 20 years ago, and the person forgave you, and God forgave you. But a big part of, of walking this life is knowing that, okay, I'm not perfect. I've made some mistakes, but I'm at peace with God. I've found forgiveness. I've found forgiveness. And that person may not have been able to forgive you, and you may not have been able to forgive you. But when somebody talks like that with me, I ask them, do you think God has forgiven you? I know it was bad. I know that maybe you're still living into that decision and, and mistakes has, have, have consequences. I, I get all that, but it's, it's knowing that I'm forgiven. It's waking up knowing that my conscience is clean. I gotta, his mercies are new every day. And how often should we pray that prayer? How often should we come to God and, and ask for forgiveness? Well, for me, it's like, it's a lot. I don't think we can come enough. I think it's, 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 it's knowing that, okay, past, present, and future, God has forgiven me of these things in my life, but confession is good for the soul. And going to God and, 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 and knowing that just like we confess the things we want in our life, well, we confess our shortcomings and we bring them to God and we know that, that this, this establishes peace in our life. And, and, and I had a, a man that I really respect that I sit with a lot and I was struggling with something in my past. And he asked me that same question, do you think God's forgiven you? And I said, I do, I think he's forgiven me. And he said, well, learn from it and let it go. And the man writing this book, Paul, he had murdered Christians. Imagine the guilt on his conscience. They were scared of him. I think he wrote a letter first because I don't know if they really wanted to meet him. Because I would want to make sure that he's tested his testimony out a little bit before, you know, Paul comes walking. And I'm not, you know, let's invite, you know, Apostle Paul to the church. He killed several Christians a few months ago, but he's had an experience with God now. You know, like, like you know, like, uh, think about that. And, and so, again, the accuser of the brethren likes to remind us of our past. But if it's under the blood, it's gone. It's like it never happened. He says he, he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so that first promise when our faith is in the right place is we have, we have peace from our past. We have peace from our past. And then this is what he gets. Here's the next promise that Paul, he says that we've gained access. We have this peace in our life. And because of this, we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So he deals with the past, and now he's talking about the present. 
there's something about making peace with our past that gives us the ability to have peace in our present. And I think part of, of this, you know, when, when we come to God and we, we repent, part of that is, is if, there, if we've wronged somebody, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to try to make it right. I wrote a lot of letters when I first became a Christian to people that I was a little embarrassed to even talk to, but I knew I owed them an apology. And it's this, this peace in the, in the present that, that gives us the ability, Paul says that we are, we are now in this, he calls it this like dispensation of grace. We're no longer living under judgment, but we're living in grace. That God is, is I've heard it said it's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That we didn't earn this life. We didn't earn the good stuff that's now flowing into our life from heaven, but by the grace of God, we're able to stand. And salvation gives us peace from our past, but the second piece of this is it gives us stability in the present. And I don't know if if there's ever been a more important time than that. Because so much is uncertain and there's so much instability in the world right now and there's so much fear and there's so much chaos and, it's, and Paul's saying, no, by, by the grace of God, we are able to have stability come what may. We're able to stand. We're able to be established that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live wondering, you know, what's around the corner or, or you know, what if this happens and there's, there's, there's war in the Middle East now and there's, you know, like it's, it's a lot of fear. There's a lot of that just being pushed into our minds. And, and, and I think what Paul is, is trying to tell us here is there is a peace that God can give you so that you can stand stable in the present world right now that didn't come from this planet. It's a peace, it's a stability that the world didn't give you and the world can't take it away from you. And it's never been more important than now. And so we have peace from our past, we have stability in our present. And then this is how we, verse two of Romans five, he says, and we boast, we brag in the hope of the glory of God. We brag in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace from our past. We have stability in the present. And then he starts talking about the future. And the way that he describes the future for the person that has put their faith in the finished work of the cross, that is believing that every good thing in your life comes from your Father above, that there's nothing you've done to earn it, There's nothing you can do to to lessen the grace of God in your life. When, When you're living focused on that finished work, he says you have hope for your future. And there's a lot of people walking around hopeless right now. There's a lot of, maybe this morning you came in and you have felt that hope, that hopelessness. And I think fear does that. I think, you know, I think we just, as, as a whole world, we just went through an incredibly trying time. And, and it, there seemed to be this sense of hopelessness or like this, this doomsday. And, and I think part, part of being a Christian is that the world wants to know, why aren't you scared? 
You should be scared. Have you watched the news? Like, like you know, like you, you and, and Paul's saying, no, 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 because you're so, your hope is anchored in eternity. And it's a guarantee. Again, I mean, I come back to the guarantee. It's not this false hope that the world gives. It's not this, well, things are gonna get better at some point, right? It can't be like this forever. It's, it's a hope that's anchored in a future that's secure. That at some point your name is gonna be called and you're gonna pass from this life into the next. And, and we have a hope that Hebrews, the way that Paul says it, that's an anchor for our soul, that, that pushes through the veil, that it's, it's, it's anchored in another world. And as this world tends to get darker and as this world tends to go chaotic and as this world tends to, to just be so unstable, the Christian, in a lot of ways, our hope is kindled. Because we know it's just the next, you know, that we can get there from here. Whatever you're here is this morning. No matter what you walked in and what your story may be, you, you might be on the heels of some of the worst times of your life. And I don't, I don't know your story, but I know that the hope of God tells us that we can get there from here. Wherever you are right now on your walk. And where there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. And God wants you walking around with hope every day. God wants you walking around with hope in your heart every day. And he promises us that. He says, I want you just to bow your head this morning with me. God, we thank you so much for your promises. We thank you that we have hope. We have hope. No matter what we've walked through up until this point, no matter what our history may look like, we have hope today because of you. And so, Lord, I just I pray that maybe there's somebody in here that's just been struggling with hopelessness, that just like just feels like it's never gonna get any better, that you've been in a fight for so long that maybe you've convinced yourself that it's just not gonna get better. And I'm just believing right now that the Spirit of God would bring hope into your life and into the, the, the hopeless places. That's the good news of the gospel. It's death, burial, and resurrection, that there's life after death, there's life even in the places where we've given up on and in the bad reports and in the dark, hopelessness situations that, that sometimes we walk through as the Christian, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a light at the end of the tunnel for you. And sometimes all we have to do is just hold on and trust the conductor. That's all we can do. No, it, it, when life gets dark and life gets hopeless, he doesn't call us to tell us to figure it out. He doesn't tell us to try to turn the lights on. He says, no, just trust the conductor. You're right where you need to be. And so God, we just thank you so much today. We just thank you for the good news of the gospel. And I, we just pray that it would Lord, be more real to us than it's ever been before. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen.